Chapter 7 The Brown House Tram 23, carrying Helena and the children from the train station to their home, clicked and rumbled through Frankfurt streets as air raid sirens moaned above. Woody, look! Kurt pointed up at the apartment buildings they passed. There. The windows, all oh, the windows are broken. Helena's heart sank. It's the bombs, she said sadly. When they explode, the air pressure breaks the windows. Do you think our windows are broken? Lotte asked. We'll find out soon enough. Finally, the tram ground to a stop. Still half a block away, they saw the curtains fluttering in the wind. Oh no, Helena groaned, and then thought to herself, Our apartment is on the ground floor. No one has been there to protect it. Everything's probably gone. Stealing herself for the inevitable, she led the children off the tram and into the building. As she unlocked the apartment door, the children darted inside. It's dusty, she heard Lotta say. Heart pumping, Helena forced herself to enter. Thick dust and grit covered everything. Her eyes flicked back and forth, up and down. Children, she said faintly. I don't think anything's been taken. Here's my castle, Kurt said, and the tin soldiers. And look, said Helena, the pots and the pans, the table linens, and Lotta's doll bed. It's all here. Nobody has touched it. While Kurt and Lotta excitedly ran from room to room, Helena quickly made up Gert's bed and tucked him in. He still had a high fever. Then she collected the children, and together they knelt in prayer. Thank you, God, for your protection over us and over our belongings. Kurt and Lotta unpacked the bundles and put things in their accustomed places. Meanwhile, Helena went to the storage room in the basement and came back with large sheets of cardboard. These she quickly nailed over the open windows. It's dark in here, Lotta complained. But at least the cold wind isn't blowing in, Helena reminded her. It will have to do until I can get the glass replaced. Now, children, she said firmly, we've had a long ride and we're tired. We need to get to bed. After a few days, Gert recovered, and they fell into their old routine, with one terrifying exception. The children went to school, and Helena did her household chores, but now, every night, bombs fell on Frankfurt. Daily they prayed that God would protect them and spare their lives. Gert, who was now seven, was never concerned about their safety. "'The bombs can never hit us,' he said confidently. "'How do you know?' Gert would ask. "'Because we are under the protection of God!' Then the neighboring city of Darmstadt was bombed. In one night, thousands of people were killed. Gert's faith in God's power was still unshaken. He was certain that the church members there had been spared. In church on Sabbath, they were happy to see their old friends and their cousins, Annalisa and Herbert. Franz's sister Annie warmly embraced Helena. After church, Tante Annie invited them home for lunch. Have you heard the news? she asked gravely. News? Most of the Adventists in Darmstadt have been killed, about 80 of our people. Helena glanced at Gert. His young face had gone pale, and his eyes stared ahead, unseeing. For young Gert, it was a terrible shock. All afternoon, while Gert and Lotta played happily with their cousins, and Helena and Tante Annie exchanged news of the last several months, Gert sat quietly in a corner, trying to make sense of the Darmstadt disaster. That night at worship, he could hold in his feelings no longer. Mutti? Yes, Gert. Mutti? He spat each word from between his trembling lips. The Bible is all lies. 
now Kurt. God doesn't protect us, he sobbed. He doesn't care what happens to us. We might as well not pray anymore. Kurt, Kurt, listen to me. Helena's voice was soft to match his grief. You have learned an important lesson today. Pain and tragedy can come to anybody, good and bad alike. The important thing is to believe that God loves us no matter what happens. As long as we are his children, it doesn't matter if we live or die, because in the end, we will live with him in heaven. Silently, he tried to absorb what she said. On Monday morning, Helena met Herr Doring on the way to the grocery store. Ah, I see that you are back, he greeted her frostily. I wonder if you have reconsidered joining the Nazi party. Herr Doring, she replied, I have no admiration for the party and I have no intention of ever joining it. I don't wish to be bothered again. Good morning. With that, she turned and left him standing in the street. You Jew lover, his voice hissed behind her. You will live to regret this. At the end of the month, she discovered what he meant. Franz's army paycheck did not arrive. She waited a few days, thinking it might have been delayed in the mail, but no check came. With her husband in the army, it was her only means of support. What could she do? On Sabbath, she mentioned her problems in church, and the members took up a collection for her. If she scraped, the money would get them through till the next check would come. As the end of that month arrived, she eagerly ran to the door every time the mailman came, but no check. Desperate now, Helena took the streetcar to an outlying town where an old friend lived with her grown son in a cunning little gypsy wagon painted yellow with green shutters. Sister Giza, she said, what should I do? I have no money. The party is withholding my support payments. We have no food. I am at my wit's end. Sister Hassel? She replied firmly, The first thing we need to do about this is pray and present your need before God. He will show us a way. The two women knelt in the little house on wheels. When they got up, Sister Geezer said, Look, I have some money laid by. I will lend it to you. When your child's support comes, you can pay me back. Helena shook her head. I can't accept that. What if something happens and you need it? Sister Hassel, they may all be dead tomorrow. Better that your children have something to eat than for me to hoard the money. With that, she went into the wagon's tiny bedroom and returned with her coat and hat. Let's go to the bank, she said. There she withdrew her entire life savings. Sister Giza, said Helena faintly, how can I ever thank you for your generosity? This will keep us alive for six months. Her heart singing, Helena rushed home to buy some food. During the following days, she wrote letters to government and welfare agencies explaining her situation and begging to receive her sustenance check. No response. Finally, she wrote to her husband in Russia, telling him of the situation and asking for his advice. Anxiously, she awaited a reply, not even knowing if Franz was still alive or if the letter would ever reach him. A few days later, she received a letter from the local party office. Opening it, she discovered that it was from the district leader, asking her to pay him a visit. Finally, they're responding to my letters, she thought. Now I'll get my money. Quickly, she donned her coat and walked the few blocks to the building the Nazis occupied. When she showed her letter to the receptionist, the girl gave her a strange, pitying look and disappeared into an office. A moment later, she came back out. Please, she said, pointing to an open door. 
Helena stepped in. Behind a desk stacked high with papers sat a man with a red face and a blue nose of a heavy drinker. Frau Hassel, he held up a piece of paper. Do you recognize this? Curiously, Helena bent closer. Yes, this is a letter I wrote to my husband a few days ago. How did this come to you? He eyed her sourly. We take the liberty of intercepting and censoring mail written and received by individuals under suspicion. You admit freely that you wrote this? Yes, Helena said. Well, I wish to inform you that it is forbidden to write bad news to soldiers fighting at the front. It is forbidden to tell them anything negative about what goes on at home. This undermines their morale and keeps them from giving their best to the fatherland. He slapped the letter down on the desk and moved it out of her reach. This kind of subversive activity, he growled, is treason and is punishable with death. Helena stared incredulously. We have received no money for months, she sputtered. How are we supposed to live? Isn't it my right to write my own husband and solicit his help? You have committed a crime, he said coldly. It will be dealt with. You will hear from us. He flipped his hand in a dismissive gesture and raised his voice to the secretary in the next room. Next, please. Helena went home on trembling legs. Again, she asked God for help and wisdom. Several weeks passed, but still no money. Doggedly, she continued her campaign of telephoning and writing to local agencies for the missing child support. No one responded. Finally, a letter arrived from the Nazi Party headquarters in central Frankfurt. It ordered her to appear before Herr Sprenger, head of the party in central Germany, on the following Monday morning at ten o'clock. Feeling totally boneless, Helena sank into a chair at the kitchen table and read the letter again. She had heard of Herr Sprenger. He had the reputation of being the most ruthless and cruel of the local party officials. And the headquarters. People refer to it as the Brown House because of its brown stuccoed exterior. At the beginning of the war, the Nazis had taken over the building, and now everyone avoided its ominous presence. Behind those doors, they whispered to one another, the Nazis commit unspeakable atrocities. Many Germans who enter that building are never heard of again. Some had heard rumors that a secret underground passage led from the Brown House to the city's Gestapo headquarters, and that undesirables were taken there and then transported to the dreaded concentration camps. Others knew of people who had been tortured in the Brown House and forced to confess, and now Helena had to go to this place. What should she do? Maybe she should take the children and go into hiding, but even in hiding they would need money for food. On the other hand, if she went to the Brown House and was arrested, what would become of her children? She fell to her knees. My father, I need your help, she cried. You are my refuge and my fortress. You have promised that you will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. I claim this promise right now. I commit myself and my children under your care. As she stood up, a calm settled over her. All she told the children was that she'd have to visit the Brown House on Monday and that they should pray about it. On Sabbath, before the church service began, Helena pulled aside various church members and held whispered consultations with them. Before the service, they had a season of prayer, interceding for her and imploring the Lord to keep her safe. Monday morning came. Children, said Helena, you will not be going to school today. You will stay right here at home. 
do not go outside, do not look out the windows, and be very quiet, so that the Dorings won't know that you are here. Promise me. Eyes round, they solemnly promised. Then she took Kurt into the bedroom and closed the door. A few minutes later he reappeared, looking scared. Lotta, said Helena quickly, it's your turn. Come into the bedroom. Kurt, Gert asked after they disappeared, why are you looking so strange? What's going on? Kurt pressed his lips together and silently shook his head. Then it was Gert's turn. After firmly closing the door, Helena said to him, Listen very carefully to what I have to say, because I have time to say it only once, and your life may depend on it. I have to go to the brown house in a few minutes. You will quietly stay in the apartment all morning. Don't walk around and don't make any noise so the neighbors won't hear you. Do you understand? Gert swallowed and nodded. If all goes well, I will be back well before noon. But the brown house is a dangerous place and I may not return. I have made arrangements with families in the church to take care of you and the others. If I am not back by twelve o'clock, I want you one by one, to very quietly sneak out of the house. You, Gert, will go to the tram stop and take tram number 23. At the seventh stop, get off and take number 17 for four stops. Get off, and someone from the church will wait for you there and take you to a secret hiding place. Remember that you will be safe with the church. Each one of you has different directions. Do not tell Lotta and Gert what I have told you. That way, if the Gestapo find you, you will not be able to give each other away. Now, repeat the directions to me so that I know that you have them right. Gert was only seven years old, but he recited the instructions accurately. He understood the seriousness of the situation. Helena knelt with him and prayed for God's watch care over him and over her. Always remember, Gert, she told him, that God is our Heavenly Father and that he will be with you even if something happens to me. She took his hand and led him out. After donning her coat and hat, she whispered, I may not see you again. They are not after me, they are after you. They know that they cannot make me change my mind. But if they get hold of you while you are young, they think they can break your mind. Stay true to God, whatever happens, and remember not to wait past noon. With that, she quietly closed the front door behind her. Standing well back from the window, the three children peered through the lace curtain and watched her make her way down the sidewalk to the streetcar stop known as Lindenbaum, so-called because of a 400-year-old linden tree growing there. They quietly settled down with books. They tried hard to read but found it difficult to concentrate and often looked up to meet each other's frightened gaze. Fearfully, they watched the clock as hour after hour passed. By 11.45 a.m., their mother was not back. Standing in the center of the room, they anxiously peered toward the streetcar stop. No sign of mother. We have to get dressed, Kurt whispered. They tiptoed into the entry and put on their shoes and coats. Five minutes to twelve. They heard the bell of the streetcar as it pulled away from Lindenbaum. One last look out the window. Then they saw a figure running down the sidewalk. All caution thrown to the wind, the three rushed to the door. Muti, Muti, you are back! What happened? Hugging each one, Helena sat down and said, Now we will thank God, because he has performed a miracle. Then she told them about her morning. She had made her way downtown, arriving at the brown house a little before ten. 
Glancing up at the menacing facade, she saw barred windows set in foot-thick stone walls. She noticed that there was no doorknob in the steel door. This looked more like a prison than a government building. Perplexed, she wondered how to enter when she detected a small button set into the wall. She pushed it and heard a distant bell. When a buzzer sounded, she pushed the door open and stepped inside. Behind her, the door closed again with a soft click. She turned and saw that there was no doorknob inside either. Once you were in, only someone with a key could let you out. A uniformed man peered through a small window. May I help you? Helena swallowed. I have an appointment here at ten o'clock. Let me see your summons. He glanced at the letter she'd received. Oh yes, this Herr Springer. Third floor, number eleven, on the left. The window shut with a bang. Fearfully, Helena climbed the stairs in the ominous, dark house. She met no one, but felt herself surrounded by angels. She knocked on the door. Come in. Once inside, she approached a dark walnut desk, on top of which was a thick folder and a polished brass nameplate engraved with Galeiter Sprünger. The man behind the desk was slender and had a high forehead, slicked-back brown hair, and narrow-set, small blue eyes. He pulled a thick folder toward him. Frau Hassel, I have documents here that are very condemning. You refuse to join the party or the League of Women. Your children don't attend school on Saturday. You have written a subversive letter to your husband. For years, you have resisted all our efforts. It sounds very suspicious. Are you a Jew? No, I am Aryan for ten generations back and have papers to prove it. Then what is going on? Why do you refuse to cooperate? Sir, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. As she spoke, Helena suddenly felt light and free. All fear was gone. Boldly, she continued. In the Ten Commandments, God asks us to worship Him on the seventh day and to keep that day holy. God's laws are still valid today. That's why I keep the Sabbath. While she spoke, she studied the man's face but could read nothing in his stern expression. He picked up the telephone receiver and spoke to his assistant. Please check if Frau Helena Hassel is a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Within minutes, the phone rang. Information confirmed. Frau Hassel, you have a lot of nerve to speak openly of keeping the Sabbath at this dangerous time and in this very house. He paused, studying her for a moment. Finally, he said, It so happens that I am acquainted with Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know the Schneiders? Helena knew them well. Brother Schneider was an elder in the church. The Schneiders are our neighbors. When we were bombed out and moved next door to them, they invited us for dinner and gave us towels and bedding so we could make a new start. They made a great sacrifice. They are wonderful people. I have a lot of respect for Adventists. Helena was astonished. The Schneiders had never mentioned that the cruel party boss was their neighbor. Now, Frau Hassel, he said, I want to get to the bottom of this whole situation. You say that you have not received your child support payments? What do you think is the reason? Please, tell me freely what your suspicions are. Helena told of the continuing harassment from party members and their hatred for her because she would not join. I want you to know that I will never join, 
she said respectfully but firmly. I will continue to keep the Sabbath. I am going to be faithful to God no matter what the consequences. I must follow my conscience. He stood to his feet. Rahasel, I admire your spirit. I'm going to check into this. I believe that everyone should be free to believe as they choose. Don't worry about the money. I will see that you get it. Helena was stunned. Finally, she was able to choke out a few words. Herr Springer, she said, I don't know how to thank you for your kindness. May God bless you. With a fathomless expression on his face, the man stood up to open the door for her. Frau Hassel, he said, Herr Springer woke up very ill this morning. He was unable to come to work. I am simply filling in for him today. Helena flew down the stairs with a light heart. Obviously informed about her coming, the man behind the window now awaited her with the key to open the door. He gave her a formal bow as he let her out. A few days later, Helena was notified that she could appear at the child welfare office to pick up a check. It contained all the back payments as well. been a production of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at SolemnAppeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.